Thanks, man. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a privilege to be here, and thank you for giving me this privilege of speaking to you this morning. Uh, it's uh, just uh, wonderful to meet the rest of the congregation. I met some of you at the uh, Southern Alberta Bible Camp uh, men's retreat, and uh, it's good to be with you and meet the rest of you. And I've heard a lot about that uh, you're just a wonderful congregation here. And uh, yeah, it's... Uh, I, I am, some of you might know Josiah Johnson. I, I'm now known in Brooks as Josiah's dad, and he's the youth pastor in Brooks. I, uh, I semi-retired last year, and it doesn't seem like too much of a retirement. <laughs> I've been involved in a lot of things since, uh, since retirement. So, uh, yeah, I met your pastor first at, uh, your uh, um, Pastor Brett at uh, the Bible Camp too, and uh, every time I talk to Pastor Ed on the phone, it's I say yeah, two Eds are better than one. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, we'll be looking at John chapter twelve this morning. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, as an introduction to that passage, I want to read one verse in the parallel passage in uh, Matthew 21.10, where when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, the people asked concerning Jesus, Who is this? Who is this? Who is Jesus? Who do you say Jesus is? You know, uh, uh, Jesus asked that question, uh, a kind of a non-threatening question uh, to begin with to his disciples. He said, who do people say I am? And they had all sorts of answers. Some even said John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some Jeremiah. Some a, a prophet. Then he was, got a little more personal. He said, who do you? Hey, I am. Jesus walked up to you today. Walked right up to you. Said, who do you say I am? I'm not going to fall off. Don't worry. <laughs> who do you say Jesus is? Who do you tell people Jesus is? I asked my Muslim hairdresser these two questions one day. To the first question she answered, I don't think people think too much about Jesus today. When I asked her who she thought Jesus was, she said, a prophet. And I said, where did you learn that from? Did you learn that from your imam? And she says, how do you know about that? And I said, well, I've studied Islam a little bit. And, uh, and then we got into a long conversation, and she actually started cutting my hair slower. And uh, I was, I was uh, you know, then, then all of a sudden, after what, a 20-minute discussion, she said, well, who do you think Jesus is? And I said, I believe he's the Christ the son of the living God. And she says, oh, I don't believe that. And I said, actually, I take it a little further. 
I believe he is God. She said, I've never heard that before. I thought I'd lose her when I said he's the son of God because Muslims don't believe that God has any sons. But she became our friend. We had other discussions. Who do you believe Jesus is? In John 12, we'll see three views of Jesus. But before we look at this passage in greater detail, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank, thank you for revealing yourself through your Son. Lord, I pray that this morning you would lead all of us to a right view of who Jesus is. And in turn that we would lead others to understand who Jesus is. I pray it in Jesus' wonderful and powerful name. Amen. Right now, I want you to imagine you are living almost 2,000 years ago and listening in on a conversation about Jesus that day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem, that first Palm Sunday. Hey, Jerry, did you hear Jesus is coming to town? No, are you sure he's coming to, to Jerusalem, Zach? Yes, I heard his disciples acquired a donkey on which he is planning to ride into the city. Say, Zach, did you hear about Jesus' most recent miracle? Jerry, it's all over town. Well, Zach, did you hear if Lazarus is with Jesus? I sure wouldn't mind asking him a few questions. No, I haven't heard, Jerry. But how about we both go out and see? We better hurry then, Zach, because there's a large crowd, many of them here for the Passover. They are already on their way to meet Jesus. Zach, Jerry, is that what they're doing? I wondered what they had in mind, waving all those palm branches around. It almost looked like a protest group. Let's go! Are your imaginations starting to get running here for Palm Sunday? I'm glad that somebody decorated with a few palm branches here, or palm trees. Uh, I don't know, are they real? Do you almost see Jesus Christ riding into Jerusalem on a donkey colt? His feet almost touching the ground. The people laying palm branches in his path in honor of the King of Israel. Who do you see when you imagine looking at Jesus Christ? They didn't have all the background we have. They didn't know that a few days later, another week, Jesus would be crucified. Actually, in another week, he'd be resurrected from the dead. At that time, the tomb was empty. But it would be emptied again by the next Sunday. John 10, or 12, I should say, verses 9 to 19 we can easily see three views of Jesus. The view of the crowd. The view of the Pharisees. 
and Jesus' own view. The view that God had of who his son was. The crowd saw a spectacular physical Messiah liberator. The Pharisees saw a threat to their authenticity or their authority. <clears throat> but Jesus saw himself as he was. The king of kings. The king of peace. Who came, came to take away the sins of the world. And give us inner peace. Today I think it would benefit us to take a closer look at all three views. For they confirm, they can confirm our right views of Christ. And challenge us to correct our wrong or erroneous views of Christ. Let's see how. First by looking at the crowd's view. The crowd saw in Jesus the promised Messiah. The king of Israel who they hoped would bring peace by liberating them from the Russian, I mean the, the Romans. Uh, the Roman oppressors. The crowd had seen the spectacular resurrection of Lazarus. Look with me at John 12, 9. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. The majority of the crowd were the common people. The scripture points out that these people came to see Jesus, not because just because they had heard about Jesus, but because they had heard the recent spectacular news of Lazarus being raised from the dead. The miraculous was attractive. Some, no doubt, were curious to see another miracle. Many could be considered tourists as they had traveled to the city to celebrate the Passover. They saw Jesus as someone who could do the impossible, especially miraculously cure physical maladies. This view was not in error. After all, he is the creator, the life giver. He could heal and even re-breathe life into lifeless bodies. This view appealed to people going through rough times. They saw Jesus could help them with their physical needs. This view may not be far off from our own view. When we go through rough times, we want a Savior who can make life easier. This can be a selfish view too. But it's not necessarily a wrong view because Jesus is concerned about our needs. The crowd saw this care of Jesus for their physical needs, for their oppression. But Jesus did not heal everyone nor raise everyone from the dead. But he chose to heal and raise from the dead some who had trusted him. Yet he wanted them to go deeper in understanding who he truly is. The crowd also did see Jesus was more than a healer. They, uh, they recognized him as the Messiah. If Jesus had the power to liberate Lazarus from the dead, 
Surely he would have the power to liberate from the Roman occupation. In John 12, 13, we read, They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Can you imagine Jesus coming to Tabor and people cutting off spruce branches? Do you have spruce branches here? Uh, What kind of branches do you have? Laying them on the road as Jesus rides into Tabor on a garden tractor. Oh, uh, it was a donkey, I guess. Uh, The the crowd in Jesus' day enthusiastically cut branches off the trees. Matthew's gospel includes the details that they spread the branches on the pavement in front of Jesus as he humbly rode. That's why I mentioned garden tractor. That would be pretty humble, riding in where there's so many big four-wheelers four-wheel tractors here, John Deere's and other makes. He humbly rode a donkey colt into Jerusalem. I'm told that laying of palm branches were symbolic of welcoming a national liberator. Their cheer bears this idea out as they cheer Jesus on. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Hosanna is a Hebrew term meaning save, I pray. They shout, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. If Jesus came riding into Tabor, would we recognize him and shout, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the Prime Minister of Canada. That's about what it was like. How would Trudeau feel about that? Do we minimize Jesus' power? The crowd actually quoted from the Masonic, Messianic Psalm, Psalm 118.26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When we read the previous verse, Psalm 118.25, we find these words. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. The crowd, in quoting from that psalm, was recognizing Jesus as their predicted Messiah, they felt he would rescue them from the repressive Romans. Some were wanting to crown him as their king, as they yelled out, Blessed is the king of Israel. They were right. He is the king of Israel. But they did not know at this time he was coming in humility. To save them from their sins as king of everyone's soul, which is far more important. The crowd that day was ready to crown Jesus as the supreme ruler of Israel. Jesus was coming humbly on a donkey as he was coming. 
save them from their sins, from the things that just bothered them that they'd done, that they felt that there was no forgiveness for. We sometimes put this crowd down for not recognizing Jesus as a suffering servant predicted in Isaiah 53. Suffering servant who would wash away their sins. But Jesus is coming back. And will we recognize him as not only the king of Israel, but the king of kings who rules the heavens and the earth. The one who has been given all authority in heaven and on earth as Jesus states in the Great Commission. I wonder when you first came to faith in Jesus Christ. Did you really know how powerful he was? I wonder if there's some today who have not come to faith and haven't realized he is all-powerful. He has all authority. I talk a little bit about my wife and I, and she's sorry she wasn't. She was planning to be here, but something came up that she had to be be used at the Brooks Church this morning, so she couldn't come with me. And I was lonely, but I had a good time of worship of the Lord on the way here this morning. Uh, I was talking to my wife one uh, one morning. We went to a free church conference in Chicago, of all places, uh, years ago. When I was 40. And uh, when I got up th- this morning, it was just after the con- conference, I was talking to my wife. The next thing I knew, I'm not going to do it, I, I might not get up, I'm a little older now, but the next thing I knew, I was on the floor and my wife was slapping me on the face. And I said, what are you doing? And she says, what are you doing? You were lifeless. And I said, I'm fine. And I got up and went down for breakfast. And uh, then I was sitting at the table, breakfast table, and I felt it coming on again. And I was out. When I woke up, the ambulance was there. And my wife and uh, the lady where we were staying said, hey, the ambulance is here. They're going to take you. And I said, what? I'm feeling fine. But the ambulance people, the, the medics, they came in, picked me up, put me on a stretcher, and out the door I went. Went to the hospital, and in the hospital they put electrodes on my head and on my chest and on my legs. I didn't, I think it was on my legs, I'm not sure. But anyway, they, then all of a sudden I felt it coming on again in the hospital bed. And I was gone. And then I woke up. There is nine medical staff standing around me. And I said, what are you folks doing here? And the head doctor said, you gave us a big scare. Your heart stopped. I said, what? 
Then I got a little uptight, to say the least. Make a long story short, I was in three different hospitals in Chicago. Uh, Good Shepherd Hospital was one of them, uh, and that's where I, the main hospital I was in. But I, I was in all three of them getting tests. And uh, finally, uh, after all those tests, uh, the head doctor said, uh, I, I'm, we're, we're going to put you on this medication, and you should be fine. And then they discharged me from the hospital, gave me the prescription. I picked up the prescription, took the first pill. An hour later, it happened again. And I, I woke up again. And uh, my friend to where we were staying and uh, my wife, I said, take me to the hospital. Don't wait for an ambulance. They took me to the hospital. We were admitting and I felt it coming on again. And I, and then they, they yelled for help, and I was riding down a stretcher in the hall. And uh, any of you have electric fencers? Any of you had something like it? Have any of you touched them or came close to them enough to? Well, anyway, I, some, I see some hands. But anyway, I, I, they put on an external pacemaker on me. And it felt just like an electric fencer going. To, they didn't turn it off before they put it there. And it just was arcing across. And anyway, that night my heart was going in and out. And then uh, in the, early in the morning they gave me emergency pacemaker surgery. You know, in the hospital, at one point I said, can't anyone help me? Then when I woke up, I said that when I was going out, when I woke up, my first thought was, only God can help me. Only God can help me. When my wife came to my side, I told her, if I don't make it, Move closer to home where you have family to help you take care of our three children who were six and under at that time. My wife tried to assure me and said, I think God still has a ministry for you. That night my heart kicked out and I, before I got the many times. And I, I learned that Jesus is King of Kings. Lord of Lords, and that he does have resurrection power. He restarted my heart several times without a pacemaker. He lifted me from death's door. He still wanted me here, even this morning. Friends, even when God doesn't answer prayer, been times I felt like he isn't listening. I still believe he is more than the king of Israel. Are you with the crowd today? Do you believe Jesus is able to help you in your situation? 
The crowds believed he was the king who would emancipate them, Israel. But they were not ready for this kind of rule. They simply wanted a political solution. They didn't want to find his eternal salvation, which came through his humble death on the cross, which they didn't know about at this time. They came close to the correct view, but they did not realize that Jesus wanted to rule in their personal souls. He came first and foremost to bring eternal salvation to their hearts so that they would be ready when he came again to rule as king of kings. But there was a different view that day when Jesus rode into Jerusalem. There was the chief priest's view. The chief priests viewed Jesus as a threat to their authority. First, Jesus' claims and deeds were a threat to the chief priests standing with Rome. If Jesus caused a insurrection, their power under Rome would be thwarted. They probably would have been not given any more thought. They, the Romans would have just crushed any religious talk. Jesus was a threat to the chief priests because they were retaining some power under Roman rule. And the thought of a Messiah figure who may lead an uprising against Rome threatened their precarious authority. Jesus gaining a following threatened the Roman, Roman rule, which also threatened the chief priests. Jesus' claims and deeds were a threat to the authority of the chief priests over the Jews as well. Already in John seven forty-eight to 49, we hear the threat the Jewish leaders felt when they stated, Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. The religious leaders assumed that the belief of some of the crowd was due to ignorance. But the tension that Jesus was getting brought out the leaders' hatred and jealousy. The jealousy of the religious leaders in John 12, 10 to 11 caused them to consider murder. In verse 10 to 11, we glimpse the minds of the chief priests thinking as it reads here in John 12, 10 to 11. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. They were planning already to kill Jesus, but they thought, we've got to get rid of the evidence. Because they said, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. These leaders were so threatened They were considering clear sin, plotting the murder of Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead. The leaders wanted to bury the evidence. The risen Lazarus, who was attracting more people to follow Jesus, and the people who saw it were telling everybody. To them, Jesus' donkey ride was to the chief priests. Jesus' donkey ride was no triumphal entry. Jesus was a challenge to their authority. 
Look at their hyperbolic statement in verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the world, whole world has gone after him. This statement was both wrong and right. They were wrong first in saying they were not doing any good. They had done some good. They had taught the scriptures. And it was that knowledge of the scriptures that helped the people to recognize Jesus as the prophesied King Messiah of the Jews. If the chief priests had really believed the scriptures themselves, they would not have felt threatened. They would have joined in following Jesus as the Messiah. They were wrong in their view that the whole world had gone after Jesus. To them it definitely seemed like it, but they were exaggerating. Not all were faithful followers of Jesus. However, they were right in the sense that they were not able to do anything to thwart or change the plans of God in Jesus Christ. In fact, their eyes, in their eyes, they were not doing any good to keep the people following them. They felt they had to do something different, even sinful, murder, Lazarus. Sunday school teachers, are there a few of you here? Do you teach Sunday school here still? Do you teach clubs here? Uh, what about uh, committee members? Do uh, you have a few of them? What about elders? I saw a few elder tags this morning. Uh, uh, board members. Is there a board here too? Uh, every church leader here today. Let's not make followers of ourselves. Lead those in your care to follow Christ. Follow the Savior. Be happy when other Christians encourage your students, your, your parishioners, the people in your church to, follow, to really follow the faith. Our goal is to make disciples of Christ, not of ourselves. Let's let the view of the Pharisees challenge us to make disciples of Jesus. Years ago, a fellow was dying in the hospital in the town where I was a pastor and Ron Gartley actually was a pastor. It was, uh, I was pastoring the Evangelical Free Church there. I followed the, the broader shoulders of Ron there. And uh, I was shocked when a minister from a liberal denomination in that community came to me and said something like, I hear you are bothering one of my parishioners on his deathbed making him think he wasn't going to heaven and warning him about hell and that he needed to put his personal trust in Jesus. The facts were actually different. I had not even talked to this fellow in the hospital. It was a, yellow, it was a zealous young believer who I had in my Bible study who was related to the gentleman dying in the hospital who went and talked this man who he believed as a relative was dying without knowing Christ. See, our church was growing 
And that pastor's church was dwindling away. This other pastor was jealous of what was happening in our church. The great apostle Paul. Not get jealous when people, other people than himself preach the gospel. When Apollos gained notoriety as a preacher, Paul said, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God gave the increase. Paul's attitude was different than these chief priests. Even though previously he had persecuted the Christians as a Pharisee, he had a change of heart and was following Christ. So that even when people preached Christ out of envy for Paul's ministry, Paul was happy that Christ was preached. We read in Philippians, Paul states, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. He was in prison. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motive or true motive, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. This is Paul in prison. The chief priest's view sheds light on our own selfish ambitions, being jealous of others who point people to Christ, and we don't get the credit. Rather, we should be lifting each other up and cheering each other on, not trying to outshine one another. The sky would be awfully dark with just one star, even if it was Venus. Let's avoid the chief priests' threatened view of Jesus and encourage Christians who lead others to faith in Jesus. Turn with me to the third view, the true view of Jesus Christ. Look at the key verse in this passage, verse 15 to 16. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey colt. The next verse says, verse 16. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified, did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him? John was one of those disciples. And here we see him quoting Zechariah. Jesus' closest disciples were in the crowd when Jesus humbly rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And even they did not realize the full extent of who he was. That is why John quotes Zechariah 9.9 in John 12.15. John now recognized Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey was predicted in God's word. Jesus knew that he fulfilled Zechariah's prediction of himself. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey because he knew 
that he was the fulfillment of the promise of Messiah. Jesus knew he was the king of Israel, but that he was the king of kings and Lord of lords. And he would say it later, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. John not only came to realize the fulfillment of this prophecy, but in Revelation 19, 11-17, John indicates his belief that Jesus will come again to serve justice with a heavenly army. And he will rule with an iron scepter. When on his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Friends, this is a greater day coming than the disciples and the crowd witness and the Pharisees and the chief priests witness when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. But he rode that first day. He rode into Jerusalem because he knew if we were going to join that army, that we would need his salvation that was purchased on the cross. Jesus' day of his second coming is getting closer. Just a few weeks ago, a friend of mine said, with the way things are going today, I think there is nothing more to fulfill before Jesus comes. Jesus could come back at any time. And then he said, I'm looking forward to that day. It sent kind of a chill down my spine when he said that. And it raised a question in my mind. Am I ready for Jesus to return as king of kings and rule over me? Are you ready for Jesus to rule over you? Will I really want him to rule in the way he will as king of kings over all the earth? Jesus will be the supreme ruler where there will be no dissenting. It will be a kingdom where his word will reign supreme. Are we ready for that? We often ask him for, to direct us, and show us what to do. However, we become so accustomed expecting what we see as our rights. That we think that we see as our rights, what we see as our rights should never be lost. People think Putin's uh, Putin, I meant. People think Putin's dictatorial powers are not right. But are we ready for Jesus who will reign as supreme authority over everything, everything that exists? His word will reign supreme. Yes, he will reign with complete justice. But that might, might not mean that we get everything that we think is our rights. 
Jesus knew he was riding into Jerusalem as a humble king. But Jesus also knew he was the king of glory. And that he laid aside his glory in heaven. We sang about that earlier. The scripture was read before in Philippians 2 about that. He humbled himself, taking on himself the form of a man. He humbled himself, the creator, to be killed by the creation. He humbled himself to the point of death. It was Jesus who chose to ride into Jerusalem as a humble king, riding on a donkey, knowing he would be killed a few short days after being hailed as king. His disciples didn't think it it was a safe thing to do, to go to Jerusalem. But it was the safest thing he could do for us. Donkeys to the Jews represented peace, while conquerors used war horses. Christ came to die for the sins of the world, that peace might begin to reign in the hearts of people like you and I, that we might be at peace with God. He did not come to compete in a political race, but he did come to change the hearts of people like you and I. Jesus came to reign, but not through a political process. If we read Zechariah 9.9, which John quoted and, and beyond, we read, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Verse 10 of Zechariah 9 goes on to say, And he will speak peace to the nations, and his domain will be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. We have his peace right now, but his full peaceable kingdom is yet to come. We have a short time until he comes again to fully realize his kingdom. Now is the time for us to lead others to him before it is too late. You know, Christian faith is traveling around this world at a rapid rate. In the news today, there are signs of worry that Russia will use nuclear force and that China is growing in military and political strength. However, on the other hand, China has a fast-growing church. Maybe they're going to come here and evangelize Canada if they take over Canada. Wouldn't that be something? Maybe we need to be ruled by China so that we will once again see the church in Canada grow. The church is, is, is purified by persecution. No amount of persecution of the church or individual Christians has been able to stop Christ's kingdom. He has brought peace to the hearts of people in the most adverse circumstances. The passing of Bill C-11 in Canada this week cannot silence the gospel on their airwaves. 
They might try to pinch it out and say, well, if you're going to put on some religious programming, you've got to put on other religions just as much. You know, long ago, Polycarp, Bishop of Smyrna, who is believed to be a disciple of John, one of Jesus, who is one of Jesus' disciples and the writer of this book, John, Polycarp had so much peace in Jesus that he was willing to be burnt at the stake. Confessing his faith in Jesus Christ. He was given one last chance to deny his faith. And his peace-filled response was, Should I deny the one who has been faithful to me for these 70 years? Today, Christians in many countries are willing to die for their faith. And their witness is making impact. According to the Gospel Coalition, the Iranian Revolution of 1979 established a hard-line Islamic regime. Over the next two decades, Christians faced increasing opposition and persecution. All missionaries were kicked out. Evangelism was outlawed. Bibles in Persian were banned and soon became scarce. And several pastors were killed. The church came under fire and tremendous pressure. Many feared the Iranian church would soon wither away and die. But the exact opposite has happened. In the last 20 years, more Iranians have become Christians than the previous 13 centuries. In 1979, there was an estimated 500 Christians from a Muslim background in Iran. Today, there are hundreds of thousands. Some estimate more than 1 million Christians. According to the research organization Operation World, Iran has the fastest growing evangelical movement in the world. The second fastest growing church is in Afghanistan. What? What? What's going on? Afghanistan where Afghans are being reached in large part by Iranians. Jesus has brought peace to the hearts of Christian Christian people in the most adverse circumstances. In this present state of ease we have in Canada, what view do we have of Jesus this Palm Sunday? Are you with the crowd believing Jesus could overthrow our ruler? Are you with chief priests threatened by Jesus' authority? How do you answer the more potent question? Who do you believe Jesus is? If I asked you personally after the service, who do you believe Jesus is?
What are you going to say to me? Ah, I hear somebody already saying it. Do you believe in Jesus so much that you're willing to stand firm in your faith even if you're persecuted? If you are, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to sing. Uh, It should be up here on the screen soon. It should be the last slide. There it is. I'm crucified with Christ. Some of you will know it. Let's sing it together. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. John twelve seventeen it says, Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb continued. Spread the word. Spread the word. He is alive. Even though Resurrection Sunday isn't here yet, Easter, you know he's alive. Let's pray together. Lord, thanks for your son, Jesus Christ, who is King of kings and Lord of lords, yet is here with us, present today caring for us, leading us on. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with us for our closing song. with self
selfless faith. I see a near revival stirring as we pray and seek. We're on our knees. We're on our knees. Hosanna, Hosanna. scripture Ephesians 3:20 and thank you man for the way you've led us in worship bringing us to Christ uh, someday I'd like to talk to you about this this midway doxology in Ephesians now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. Go in God's peace this Palm Sunday.